You are the diamond in the rough. And you have found yourself in the cave of wonders. And as you go through the caverns, you come to the deepest room. And there on a pedestal, with a light shining down on it, is a lamp. And you eagerly run up to that lamp, and you rub it. And out pops this crazed blue blob that acts a lot like Robin Williams. And this genie comes to you and says, you have rubbed the lamp. You now have three wishes. You can't kill anyone. I can't make anyone fall in love. I can't bring anyone back from the dead. And you can't wish for more wishes. I want you to take out your sermon notes and for about 30 seconds think about if you were given this opportunity to have any three wishes granted to you, what would you wish for? Like I said, take about 30 seconds and think that through. Alright, so you had three wishes to think about. What are some of the stuff, if you're comfortable sharing, that you would wish for? Paul, just one of your wishes. Pick the best. So you would choose to be popular? Sure, what other things? Eternal life? To walk again, yeah. What other things would you wish for? What? Yeah, orphans to have mommies and daddies. Yeah, these are really good wishes. Now, we all know that genies don't really exist outside of Disney movies. However, what if there was an opportunity for one of your wishes to come true? What would you be willing to give up to make that wish come true? Keep that in mind as we look at James 2. Verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Paul, not Paul, James starts off this passage by basically asking two rhetorical questions. He says, what good, what usefulness is faith in something if you're not willing to act upon it? And the second question, is that saving faith? And then he gives this example that I'd like to contemporize. Imagine that you have a relative that lost their job and for a long time they just couldn't find work. Eventually, they couldn't pay their house payments and so their home was foreclosed. They were forced to move out and they eventually sold everything that they had to pay for food. To the point where one day, 
you're just walking along the street and you see them sitting out there under a bridge, living in a cardboard box with basically nothing, struggling to survive. And you go up to them and you're like, what happened to you? And as they begin to tell their story about what happened, you think about that spare bedroom that you have in your house. And you begin to think about how lately you've been having a lot of leftovers from your meals. And you think to yourself as they're closing up this story, you know what? I could totally have this family member come into my house and live with me and I could take care of them for a little while while they get back on their feet. It would be a sacrifice, yes. It would be hard at times. But you know what? I could pull this off. I could do it. But instead, you just say to them, you know what? I really wish that good fortune comes upon you. Have a nice day. And you walk away. Think about the wishes that you guys wished for a couple minutes ago. When I think of a wish, I think of something that we really, really want. That we would be willing to at least put a little effort into making it happen. Right? And we see here from James's illustration that if we are unwilling to help this person and just give them a wish of good fortune, is that really a wish? Do we really want that person to get better? Or are we basically just giving a backhanded attempt at politeness? I think you'll agree that's not really a wish. That's a fake wish, an empty wish. And Paul, not Paul, why do I keep saying that? James, i got to stop preaching on Paul all the time. Um, James is basically saying here that in the same way, faith that doesn't manifest itself in action is not real faith. You see, true faith by nature leads to action. And when a person claims to have faith but doesn't live it out, everyone sees them to be a phony, even if you're Batman.
In this clip, we saw Bruce Wayne struggling to balance his different roles. On the one hand, he is this superhero that goes out and fights crime. But on the other hand, he's this billionaire guy just seeking the latest pleasure in his life. And this girl that he had a crush on when he was a kid meets up with him and she's like, what are you doing wasting your life just hanging out in hotel swimming pools doing nothing? And he tries to make this claim that, you know what, this isn't really me, this is not who I am. And her response is, Bruce, you can claim to be something different all you want, but the truth is, what you do, how you act, how you show yourself to other people, that's what defines you. And I like how Bruce's claim in here, that when he says, Rachel, all of this, this isn't me, I am more, that really echoes somebody who's objecting to Paul's, uh, James's argument in verse 18. And the objector says, you have faith, I have deeds. By this argument, the objector is trying to make the claim, look, you have faith, I have deeds. The two are separate. It's not the same thing. But James goes on to say, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. James here is claiming, look, you can claim to have faith and not live it out, but again, that's not real faith. The two, faith and works, those are intertwined. It's impossible to do something without having faith in whatever the outcome of that action will come. Take eating, for example. Why do we eat? Because we believe that if we don't eat, we're going to die. We believe that by putting food into our mouths, our bodies gain nutrients, and we gain the ability to continue living. If we didn't believe that, we wouldn't eat, and we would die. And I think this is true because sometimes in our life, we have two beliefs that come in a conflict with each other. Take, for instance, people that really value eating healthy, right? They watch what they eat. They count their carbs. They make sure not to eat too much sugar and all these other bad foods. They limit their stops at McDonald's. They do all these things. But the truth is, sometimes eating healthy is expensive. Sometimes it can be really inconvenient. And sometimes... It doesn't have as much flavor as some of the other junk foods. I see a lot of people going, yup. And the truth is, sometimes even people who are really passionate about eating healthy will, will find themselves in times where they're valuing flexibility, where they're valuing frugality, or they're valuing flavor. And they eat something that they know is unhealthy. Right? Because their desire for healthy foods and the desire for flexibility, frugality, and flavor come in a conflict with what they claim to believe in their health food. And in the end, what they believe deep down inside makes them act a certain way. 
it manifests itself in actions. And that's how life works. We act on what we truly believe deep down inside. That's what drives our actions. The two concepts are, are completely intertwined. Think of a tree and its roots. If what you do is like the tree, faith is like the roots. You can't have one without the other, right? If a tree doesn't have roots, it's not going to get nutrients from the ground and it will die. If, a, if you have roots and you cut off the tree, the roots aren't going to grow anymore. They're going to die also. Faith and works are two intertwined concepts that really can't be moved. Because our actions are influenced by what we believe. And true faith leads to action.
when true faith leads to actions, great things happen. As is illustrated with Paul's two examples from the Old Testament, found in verses 21 to 26. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scriptures were fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different directions? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We see here James giving two examples from the Old Testament of people that were stuck in seemingly impossible situations. The first was Abraham whom God had promised, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And through that son, will be become a mighty nation. So vast that they will outnumber the sands and the sea. And through that nation, the Messiah will come, who will not only redeem your people, but the entire world. And Abraham has a son, just as God has promised, named Isaac. And one day God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, go up on that hill, and sacrifice him to me. And when Abraham heard this, it must have turned his world upside down. Because you see, Abraham at this point was over 100 years old. And his wife was over 90 Isaac was his last shot. And this must have seemed completely weird to Abraham because this command seemed completely outside of God's character. Why would God ask him to do something so weird? Rahab, as well, was a prostitute in Jericho who had two enemies of her city come to her and ask her to hide them in her house because there were authorities chasing after them. And she knew that if she complied to this request, it could mean certain death if she was caught. Yet in both cases, Abraham and Rahab, they had faith in God's faithfulness. Abraham believed that if God actually made him go through with this, that God had the power to raise Isaac from the dead. And Rahab believed that God would protect her and her family. And this faith that both Abraham and Rahab had led to obedience in God's command. Because true faith leads to action. Now, to me, this seems like a pretty straightforward passage. True faith leads to action. However, this is actually one of the most controversial passages in all of Scripture. Because it appears that what James is talking about directly contradicts what Paul is talking about 
in his writings. Because James is saying, look, it's not just faith that saves you. It's faith that goes along with works. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Faith alone saves you. It's trusting in Jesus that brings salvation. But I think if we were to truly look at what Paul and James write, we would understand that they're really arguing the same thing. They're just coming at it from a different angle. And I kind of wish that I had some sort of time machine that we could go back in time and see what a conversation between Paul and James might have looked like. Hey, Brandon, do you still have that transmogrifying time machine? Yeah, well, actually, it's right up there in the media closet. Oh, sweet. Do you think you could show me how it works? Sure, sure. Do we have time? Sure, yeah. Yeah, it looks like we do. Okay, here, come on right over here. All right. Okay, it's right here in this closet. Okay. Um, if you remember it, we, we pulled it out about a year ago. Okay. Uh, going through the series on Luke. Yeah, I and, remember that. And Calvin and Hobbes were some of my favorite characters growing up. And Calvin had this transmogrifier. It's a box. You go into the box, you can turn a few dials, and it turns you into anything you want to be. And, and so a year ago, I turned this around a little bit, made this closet into a transmogrifying time machine where you can go into this closet, turn a few, um, turn a few dials, flip a few switches, become anyone you want to be, and go into any era that you want to go into as well. Wow, do you think it would work if we went back to a time when Paul and James could have had a conversation? I think so, because a year ago we went back to the time when Jesus lived, so yeah, I think so. You guys, I am so excited. Paul is coming to Jerusalem. He's going to be here. Oh, I haven't seen him in forever. Oh, I'm so excited. He's such a cool guy. Oh, Paul, my brother, you're here. James, it's great to see it you. It's been so a long good time. To see you. Yeah. So how are things going around here? Pretty well, man. We're seeing people come to faith in Christ just every single day. New people trusting in Christ. It's awesome. It's so good. It is really cool. Yeah. The only issue, though, is we have a lot of people who are understanding what Christ did to them. They're putting their faith in Jesus, Mm -hmm. but then their life isn't showing it. It's like they have this intellectual knowledge in their head, but it's not impacting their actions. Hmm. That sounds like dead faith to me, like there's no life there. Exactly. Yeah. How are things going with your churches? You know, pretty well. We have our ups and downs. We actually face some of the same things that you're talking about, but, but we actually oftentimes have the op- opposite type of problem where we have uh, people who are actually trying to earn their salvation. Uh, they're trying to do good works, do works of the law, uh, all this good stuff thing, and that's going to earn God's favor. Uh, I wish they could just understand that salvation comes through faith in Christ and what Christ has done on the cross. Yeah, trying to do works to earn your salvation is like trying to put the proverbial chariot before the horse. You know, you're completely right. I mean, salvation comes through grace alone and faith alone and Christ Mm -hmm. alone, what he has done on the cross. Yep. Yeah. And then that loving actions take place after faith as a result 
of your true faith in Jesus. Yeah, I mean, you're completely right. It actually sounds a lot like what I wrote to the church in Ephesus not that long ago. I wrote to them, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So I made it very clear that salvation comes through grace alone and mm -hmm. faith alone and Christ alone. But then the very next sentence, get this. I said, for we are God's workmanship, mm -hmm. created in Christ Jesus to do good works, yeah. which God prepared in advance for us to do. They really, I mean, if we have true faith, faith is what saves us. But if we have true faith, they will be backed up by obedient actions and fruit in our lives. Yeah, it's like faith and works are intertwined. They can't be disconnected. Yeah, I mean, exactly. True faith brings out salvation, and then that should lead to action mm -hmm. and living out your faith through good deeds. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Yeah, it's so good to talk with you, a brother in Christ. Hey, man, let's head over to my place. There's a ton of Jewish believers that are just excited to meet you right. and to hear your story and your talk about the gospel, man. Let's head over to my place. Sounds good. So we saw from this skit that really Paul and James really believe the same thing. And in their books, they're really arguing two sides of the same coin because they were facing two different audiences, right? Paul was writing to a lot of churches out in Asia Minor and in Rome that had a mix of Jewish and Gentile believers. What was happening was a lot of the Jewish people were trying to get the Gentiles to, to become Jewish and, and therefore earn their salvation through works. And Paul was passionately saying, no, it is not by works that we are saved. It's by faith in Jesus Christ alone that we are saved. And James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem where people were starting to understand that I can't earn my salvation on my own. I am a sinner, unable to repay for my sins by good deeds. And it's only through what Jesus did on the cross that I can have salvation. That's awesome. I understand that. Now I'm going to go back to doing life the way I did before. And it's not going to change my, my life. I have hell insurance, if you will. And now that I'm not there, I'm just going to live my life the way I want to. And so James was like, no, true faith, when you truly believe that Jesus saves us from sin, that should change the way you live. You don't want to go back to that. That's not true faith. And really, they were arguing the same exact thing in their books. Paul, with his problem, was emphasizing the root of salvation. That the way we get salvation is through faith. And James is arguing the fruit of salvation. That true faith leads to action. And so I hope we can see that Paul and James believed the same gospel. And they both understood how to receive salvation and how to live it out. They were just emphasizing different things to different audiences. When I think of people like James and like Paul, about how they had so much faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross to bring them salvation, and they had so much faith 
that the world around us needs Jesus. That they were literally willing to risk their lives. Both of them faced torture and persecution and uh, attempts on their life for the cause of the gospel. When I read that, it just inspires me. And as I've been reading the gospel lately of Jesus Christ, as I have been reading the letters of the apostle, and really as I have been studying the whole Bible, I feel like God has really been revealing something in me. And it was actually something that caused me to ask Brandon if I could take this passage and preach on it today. And that was, I feel like, so many times I feel like the good works that we do as Christians are very inward. Right? Like the faith that I live, it's all about reading my Bible and praying to God and not sinning. And those are very good things. Don't get me wrong, those are, those are good, but I feel like that's only half the picture. Our faith should lead us to an outward expression of Jesus Christ. That we should live in such a way that other people know and they see Jesus living inside of us. And that we are not afraid to share Christ with the people around us. Because in reality, it's the most loving thing we can do to a person who, without Jesus, would be spending eternity separated from God. The most loving thing we can do is to share the knowledge that we have of Jesus, the faith we have in Jesus, and help them to understand the goodness of Jesus Christ and His amazing deep love for them who sacrificed Himself on the cross to die. And I've realized that if I really have faith that Jesus did that for me, then I should want to live in such a way that inspires other people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I began thinking, what would a completely sold out for Jesus lifestyle look for me today as inspired by people like Paul and James this is what I came up with what it would look like if I dedicated my life and I started growing in my ability to live out my faith through my actions first off I think that I would make God more of the center of my life rather than trying to center God around my life. I would view sin as a cancer that is hell-bent on destroying me and not something that is able to satisfy me. And that I would commit myself to putting sinful habits behind a padlock and throwing away the key never to drink of its hemlock ever again. I would surrender my heart to the Almighty and begin to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And when I struggle, and when I fall because life surrounds me like a tomb, 
I would remember the empty grave. And I would rise from the ashes, bearing my scars as evidence that there is hope. And though I may stumble into glory, I want to live like there is always forgiveness. And every time I mess up, God is always there to forgive me and say, David, yeah, you messed up. You're forgiven. Let's do better next time. I want to be empowered to forgive others, not because they deserve it, but because I have experienced forgiveness. I want to live so that my marriage would be an illustration of Christ and His undying love for the church, His bride. And that I would love my wife sacrificially. And that I would put her needs above my own. I want to live in a way that I am actively prioritizing faith to my children and encouraging them to live with internal convictions instead of chasing after temporary fiction that is constantly vying for their attention. But I want to live in such a way that they know that the purpose of life is to glorify God and to bring about the salvation of mankind. I want to set an example to everyone around me of how to live sacrificially, investing my time and money into caring for the poor and the needy. I want to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that my life amplifies the songs of my spiritual gifts and that they would be used for His glory and the encouragement and edification of believers around me. That they would be encouraged to use their spiritual gifts for God's glory and the encouragement and edification of believers around them. And I want my life to have the mission of making disciples and have that mission be on the front lines of my lifestyle. And I would make allies of the unsaved people around me by doing life with them, inviting them over to my house, having cookouts with them, talking to them, encouraging them and loving them, and even intentionally conversing with them about the victory that Jesus has won for me on the cross. And that my life would be dedicated to seeing people who don't know Jesus understand the hope that He gives and the hope that I have found and whose faith I have put in my trust in. Which leads to actions. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the cross. Lord, that you saw us in our helpless state as sinners. And you didn't just say, oh, that stinks. But in your love for us, you sent your son down to this earth to die in my place. So that I could have a relationship with you. And that I could be set free from my sin and now experience not just eternal life in heaven, but a God-centered life now. Father, I pray that you would help me 
to live out my faith in a way that others around me are persuaded to trust in you themselves. Father, I pray for all the people in this room this morning that they too would desire to have a faith that leads to action. And that they would not just come here on a Sunday morning and give lip service to the gospel, but that it would penetrate into their day-to-day lives. And that we as one church, as one body, would seek to be unified as we carry out our mission to make disciples for your glory and for the salvation of humanity. Lord, please do not let our faith be fake. But let us have a true faith that leads to action. Amen.